0: Thank you. continue our journey through the chronology of God's Word. We're on session 34, I think it is now, which is quite a thought. We're going to look today at the realm of the Spirit and we're going to see how, even in the Old Testament, the Spirit was evident and was impacting everything that was unfolding in God's plan. Before we get to that, though, just a quick reflection for us on this idea of being surrounded by unseen powers and that is unseen powers doing incredible things. Perhaps maybe you feel it's quite hard to quantify or to understand what the spirit is doing, quite hard to see where the spirit is at work, but let's frame this idea of unseen power at work doing incredible things in in different contexts. We all heard the example of gravity, how gravity can't be seen, but we see the evidence of gravity all around us. And then there's electricity we don't see electricity per se but we see the evidence of it all around us we flick a switch and all of a sudden the power comes on and the lights come on and we we see how electricity even though it is an unseen power at work it does incredible things when we look into our history and into how information has been transmitted we think about radio waves and we think about the fact that we're able to hear things projected across miles, even sometimes globally, because of radio waves. They can't be seen, but they can be experienced. An unseen power at work doing incredible things. And of course, our contemporary example would be Wi-Fi with our broadband, that we can be standing in a a house, in a room, disconnected from anything apart from our Wi-Fi, and we can access incredible sources of information, incredible volumes of information. We transfer a file from one device to another over Wi-Fi for example and what you find is that you can't see it happening but you see the evidence of it happening there's something unseen something unseen and intangible impacting something that is seen and tangible and 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 last week we we spoke of the spirit we read from the word that it's likened to the wind that we don't know where it came from we don't necessarily know where it is going we can't see the spirit but we can see the effects of the spirit just like we can't see the wind but we can see the effects of the wind so let's delve into yet another example in the old testament of the reality of the spiritual realm and it penetrating natural reality So the spiritual realm penetrating natural reality. We're going to look at the second portion of 1 Samuel chapter 16. We read verses 1 to 13 last Sunday. We'll read verses 14 to 23. So the rest of the chapter today. So let's just open the word of God and let's just invite God to speak to us. Father, open our hearts as we open your word. We ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we remember the context here that David has been anointed by uh, Samuel. Saul has been rejected. David has been anointed in secret. So it's not public knowledge yet that David is the king. But what we know is that Saul has been rejected by God. And it says here in verse 14, Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. So Saul's servants said to him, You see that an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command your servants here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the lyre. Whenever the evil spirit from God comes on you, that person can play the lyre and you will feel better. Then Saul commanded his servants, Find me someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul dispatched messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a wineskin, and one young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. When David came to Saul and entered his service, Saul loved him very much and David became his armour bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, Let David remain in my service for he has found favour with me. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play and Saul then would then be relieved. Feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. So, we've heard this again this is a but we're, we're revisiting a portion of scripture that perhaps we're really familiar with but i want to just invite us to just hear it and and investigate to to unpack it with fresh eyes and with a fresh expectation that god can speak something fresh to us through it let's just go through a few of these verses and draw out some nuggets before we emphasize the main thrust of this morning's message Verse 14, the first verse that we read, the spirit of the Lord had left Saul and an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. There's a lot in there for us to unpack. And this verse has caused many Christians to perhaps wriggle in their seats, to, uh, to shift uncomfortably because of what that verse says. I think it's important for us to emphasize the first part of the verse before we look at the second part. The Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. We know that in those days, back in the days of the Old Testament, prior to the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would fill people for for a season, for a time, in order to enable them and equip them for a role that God was wanting them to fulfill. And so what's happened is the Spirit has done what the Spirit did in other people as well. He filled Saul for a while, he equipped Saul and enabled Saul, and then he left. And so God has lifted his hand, in essence, off Saul. And Saul is no longer the anointed one in the sense that he has the Spirit anointing in him. So, But but this verse has caused many to move un- and shift uncomfortably in their seats. Now, what I would say is not all scholars agree with the second portion of this verse. Uh, Dr. Bob Utley, who I respect hugely and, and who I go to so often to, to read up on his perspectives through his online commentary, he suggests that actually Saul here is suffering from a, a psychotic anxiety rather than a demonic possession. What we would say is that, yeah, the two are, are distinct differences, that people can suffer psychotic anxiety. that is not a spiritual psychosis, but we also know that people can be demonically possessed. And so both are distinct, but both are real. Bob Utley would suggest that this was actually more of a natural outworking of Saul's character rather than a demonic possession Others would take a more literal reading all of this and I would incline myself towards that more literal reading. We have the benefit, I think, recently of journeying through through Job and understanding that God does permit the Satan, the small s, Satan, the adversary. He permits the Satan access to people and people's circumstance if it will bring about his purpose. And I, and I know that that can make us shift in our seats, make us uncomfortable. And I, I don't want to downplay that, but I also don't want to deny it. Questions are raised, though, when we look at this verse. Remember, we have to ask, who is Saul now? When we know that he's been rejected by God because of his actions, he has placed himself in essence under judgment of God because of how he has acted. And the second question we can ask of this, which helps us to understand is, what good purpose could possibly come from this? If there's an idea that God will allow people to go through something in order for his purposes to be fulfilled, then the question is, what good purpose could possibly come from this? And as we unpack the rest of these verses, perhaps we'll get an indication of that, that there is a degree of judgment happening and blessing happening as well. Let's go to verse 16 then, verse 16. Let our Lord command your servant here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the liar. Whenever the evil spirit from God comes on you, that person can play the liar and you will feel better. The solution to the problem seems to be known. It seems to be that even back in Saul's day, in the culture of the day, there was an understanding of the soothing qualities of of music. And we know that God created music for a purpose. Everything God created has a purpose. And so God created music for a purpose. We also know that it was established in heaven long before it was popularized on earth, that God is the first great composer. So the solution is understood for this particular problem. Let's go on to verse 18 then. It says, one of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. Now remember, we have got inside information at this stage as to what's going on in in David's circumstance. We were with David last week in his anointing, in his ordaining, Uh, into the place of, of king but but Saul and Saul's servants do not yet know who David is who he truly is and who he is destined to become and yet David is singled out here remember that question what good purpose could possibly come from this David is singled out he's already known as I mean what an incredible list we have here as a valiant warrior eloquent handsome And that he's known by God. He's known and favoured by God. Let's look at verse 19 then. Then Saul dispatched messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the sheep. Remember the warning that God made that if you take a king uh, in essence of your own strength but if you take a king over your nation then he can command anything of you and you have to obey So here we have Saul, in essence, commanding Jesse to release his son. And then this little phrase, David, who is with the sheep. I I think that that says so much because that is how David was identified and known. There's David, yeah, David's the one with the sheep. What we have here in essence is that Jesse's on an amazing learning curve. Jesse, who didn't consider David worthy of Samuel's consideration last week, remember he lined up all of David's brothers and never thought to get David to come and be part of that procession until Samuel pressed him and said, have you got another son? And so here we have David not worthy of of Samuel's consideration, according to Jesse. And now... Jesse is the father of the king of Israel and also the father of the son who is requested to serve in Saul's presence. Now, what we can see here in in what unfolds is a measure of Jesse and where David got his qualities from. Even though he knows that David is now God's chosen king, what does he do for Saul? Well, let's keep Reading, Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a wineskin and one young goat and sent them by his son David to Saul. What was he doing there? Well, was he just giving David some, in essence, some old fashioned pocket money to keep him going? Or was he possibly giving something of his substance to Saul as an offering? I, I suspect it was the latter. He prepares a blessing, an offering for Saul, I think, Even though he knows that David is now God's chosen king, there's something of honouring Saul in that. Let's look at verse 21 then. When David came to Saul and entered his service, Saul loved him very much and David became his armour bearer. What we see here is David's natural qualities are shining through in the throne room of Saul. David finds favour, David I think is the kind of man who would have found favour no matter where he went because of his nature, his personality, his character, his substance. He finds favour and we must also note here that David's got an incredible attitude throughout all of this. He doesn't walk into that space as if he owns it, as if it's his space. He doesn't stand before Saul and look down on Saul because he knows that God has anointed him over the nation of Israel. No, he, he doesn't walk into that space as if he owns it. He doesn't wish away the days months and years. There could be as much as 10 years between this moment and the eventual transition of, of real power in the nation. He doesn't wish those days away before he's publicly recognised or before Saul is publicly dethroned. He serves humbly and he serves faithfully. That is the measure of David. And I think we can see that Jesse has poured well into him. Lastly, verse 23, when the spirit from God came on Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play and Saul would then be relieved, feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. That is the third repetition of the phrase the spirit from God the spirit from God, this evil spirit, which is why I would tend to side on the basis of this was something that God was doing, whether actively or willingly, in the sense that he was stepping back from Saul and allowing access to Saul, just like we saw with Job, as hard as that was to read. I think the, the repetition emphasises something. But verse 23, when the music is played, Saul is comforted. And what we know is the power of music, the natural power of music is one thing, but the power of worship is something altogether different. The power of music, one thing, the power of worship, another. The power of music in the natural realm has the impact uh, or the potential to impact well-being for positive and for negative. We know that. We've all encountered that. I grew up in a household that loved music, and I've, I've been immersed in it on, a, on a, a practical, active level all my life. And I know that music can impact me, my well-being, whether it can lift me up or bring me down. I'm sure you can all think of examples yourself of music that lifts you and music that impacts you, perhaps brings you down. And that is irrespective of faith persuasion. Music has that impact. But when we factor in the power of the Spirit working through the power of music, the, uh, the impact is increased by a magnitude, perhaps hard to measure. Now let's revisit the earlier questions. What is happening to Saul? Who is Saul now? Well, the natural answer, like Bob Utley would tend to say, is that his character, his personality are inclined to this kind of behaviour, that circumstance has drawn out. Elements of his character that are unsavory and and unbalanced. And I think, yes, I think I agree with that, that there is a, a, a large degree of truth in the fact that Saul's choices and his circumstance have drawn out the flaws in his character. But when we look to the supernatural element of what is happening to Saul right now, why is this happening? We remember that he's living under God's judgment because of his disobedience, to God. But also, let's revisit that second question, what good can possibly come from this whole situation that Saul is going through? Well, what do we see? We see that David is drawn into the presence of Saul. He's drawn into the presence of Saul. He's elevated to a place of visibility where he can demonstrate what it is to walk by the Spirit. He's been Drawn into the presence of Saul, elevated to a place of visibility where he can demonstrate what it is to walk by the Spirit. And that is simply to walk at the leading of God step by step by his Spirit. What does this give? Well, it gives an incredible contrast to Saul. So it it offers us, the readers, an incredible contrast to Saul. So it's, it's impacted generations since this was penned. But it also offers incredible contrast to the people around about Saul at that time and also an inspiration to the nation of Israel at that time. Here is the kind of king that you should have pursued in the first place. We have to note as well here that David's first public act is to worship by the Spirit. I think that's incredible to think about that, that here we have the one that has been anointed king over the nation who is walking humbly and in honour of others. And his first public act is to worship by the Spirit, to publicly live by and be led by the Spirit, to take a stand against the manifestations of spiritual darkness and to defeat them by the Spirit of God. And he's doing it through Worship—that That is huge, I think. Can we perhaps see a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ in, in this young David? We can, I think. I think it's evident to us why David is a type of Christ, a type of the one to come, the one who is eternal and who is to come. We have a tangible example of the reality of the spiritual realm unfolding in the throne room of Saul, and in the presence of David. And we've seen this actually throughout the chronology that we've we've gone through so far this journey. Let me just share a few examples with you. Just to emphasise the evidence of the spiritual realm and the reality of its impact on the natural realm. We saw in the garden of course the spiritual battle being played out in the hearts and minds of Adam and Eve. As they walked on grass and as they walked amongst trees. So... Tangible people in a tangible context in the grass and the trees, but a spiritual battle ensuing in that space. We saw with Abraham and Sarah, with their defeats and their victories. We saw Job's disastrous losses and his miraculous gains. We've seen Jacob's blessed but incredibly messy family circumstances. We've seen in Joseph's pride and in his fall, in his imprisonment and his rise to power. We've seen in Moses' miraculous birth uh, survival story, the birth survival story that, that really is hard for us to comprehend and yet this is how it happened, followed by his upbringing in the highest house of the land of Egypt. We've also seen in his violent conduct towards the Egyptian and in his peacemaking to a nation and his courage to lead a soft people out of Egypt into a hard wilderness. Everything reflects what is going on behind the scenes. Everything in the natural reflects what's going on behind the scenes in the supernatural. Everything is, in essence, a scene representation of an unseen reality and ultimately an unseen battle. So let's fast forward then to our own day, our own circumstance, to the fact that we are also wrestling with so much, having to face up to so much, having to contend with so much. We have our victories, we have our challenges. We're wrestling with disease, both natural diseases and man-made created diseases. Whilst, whilst also living under governments and leaders who, who don't get up every morning and start every day, begin every conversation or debate in parliament, they don't start that on a bended knee to the maker of heaven and earth. So many decisions that we are uh, having to live by and are enforced upon us are made in the flesh. And so that is our reality We can see that we're living in a battle, whether we like it or not. We're, in essence, on a battlefield. Now, you can personalise that down even more to your own personal, private circumstance. Where is there a battle, a spiritual battle, in essence, going on in you? Is it a battle that perhaps you've brought upon yourself through character, weakness or flaw Perhaps I think we've all been there at some point. Is it a battle that you're going through because of circumstance, because of somebody else's character weakness or flaw? Perhaps. But like we see with disease and with, with, uh, I would say, imperfect governance, these are all examples of an unseen reality impacting a seen reality, and and we're living in a battle whether we like it or not we're living in that battle we are actually on the battlefield to to have breath in your lungs is to be on the battlefield between God and, and the enemy and the ver- adversary and there are two responses to that very reality when we finally come to that acknowledgement I'm on the battlefield whether I like it or not do you know when I've thought about movies that I've seen and I look back especially in Scottish history and look at previous generations and how they've gone out to fight uh, our our neighbours, for example, in England and thinking about the fact that men were just expected to pick up the sword and go out onto the battlefield and die for the sake of an idea or some uh, ideology, we could say. And I just think that is something that I would have struggled with, my character, my nature. I would have struggled with that hugely what would my response have been if i had been told you're in the battle whether you like it or not well the same question can be asked of us today what would our response be to the very fact that we're living in a battle we're on the battlefield because we have breath in our lungs i think there's two responses to that we can sit in the corner rocking ourselves to sleep at the very thought of it i think if that had been me hundreds of years ago in the reality of a physical battle, I might have been inclined to to do that, who knows. Or we can we can pause, take a breath, and ask God, where would you like me to stand in this? That idea of taking a breath, of pausing and taking a breath, we emphasized it last week when Samuel, before he gave up on the apparent lack of Uh, a king in Jesse's line, and he paused and reflected and asked that question, have you got another son? I think there's so much uh, wisdom in what Samuel did there. And again, when we think about our very now, our very reality, if we pause, take a breath and ask God, where should I stand in all of this? Where do you want me in all of this? Where is my peace in all of this? very important question where is the victory in all of this and i want to propose that actually the answer is really simple when we think about the myriad of challenges that we face with regards the diseases that come our way both natural and man-made the governments and the turmoil the influence that they have and that they exert over our lives and the lack of godliness in that space. When we think about our own personal struggles and challenges and our victories and our, uh, our defeats, we might say, we ask the question, where do I stand in all of this? Where is my peace in all of this? Where is the victory in all of this? I think the answer actually is quite simple and it's found in God's never changing character. It's found beyond us And that reminds us that when we are weak, He is strong. That it is His joy that gives us strength. That the answer to all of these questions, where do I stand in this reality of being on the battlefield? Where is my peace on the battlefield? Where is my victory on the battlefield? It's simple. It's found in Him. You see, God's character leads him to make promises that he will keep. He'll keep them because of his character. The promises are framed and birthed out of his goodness. And, and this is key, he will make provision for every eventuality in accordance with his will if we are submitted to him. So if if this word, from 1 Samuel, was purposed to transform us, was purposed to impact us, even though it's just marking a moment in history and, and wanting to educate us on our history, but it was also purposed, I believe, to transform us. How can we let this word impact us today? Well, I want to invite you to do something as I will do with myself over the coming days. And depending on how you're wired up, you might want to make a journal entry or just even note some things down on paper. I want to invite you to look over every aspect of your life. And I want to invite you to analyze it by asking the question, where is the spirit of God evident in that aspect of my life? And where is the spirit of God lacking in that aspect of my life? And in order for us to understand that, we have to ask the question, well, how do I measure the activity of the Spirit? How do I measure the activity of the Spirit in each area of my life? I love how God has laid before us, according to his word, we see the activity of the Spirit. We understand it in the fruit that is seen, in the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, gentleness, the self-control, all of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. We can measure His activity in every aspect of our lives. And as we submit to Him, and as we welcome Him, as we prioritize Him in each aspect of our lives, In that we can find the victory of God because that is where we place ourselves. Where should I stand in all of this? I should stand alongside and by the power of the Spirit. Where is my peace in all of this? Well, it's found in trusting in the God that is bigger than I am. And where is the victory in all of this? The victory is found in God, in God's will being done, Paul understood this. When Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain, where is the victory in our circumstance? It's simply in God's will being done. And so what are the measures for us as we look at our lives? How is the Spirit evident across each aspect of my life? Where do I see the fruit of the the work of the Spirit in my life? And we understand these definitions, we understand what love is based upon the word, not based upon culture, but based upon the word. We understand joy based upon the word, that joy is this deep-rooted, deep-seated resolve and strength that comes in all circumstances, not superficial, it's, it's deep-seated, it's, it's a, a, a a source of strength and power, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. The, all these things are defined by the word. Let's let's step back, look at our lives, understand that we're on the battlefield. But how can I find my peace and be victorious by the Spirit in accordance with God's will? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word that once again reminds us of a a moment in history, but also reveals to us the very reality of the spiritual realm impacting the natural and how you have purposed for people to step into that space and to transform it by the power of your Spirit. Father, help us, we pray to apply that same godly principle to our own life and our own circumstance so that we can see real transformation, ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.